listening to the Colorado Springs Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by the Envision Advisors at Your Castle Real Estate. So for today's episode, we have Rob Lind, who is a property manager, and he also owns Milestone Real Estate Services, and he's been the owner of that since 2007. He's been a property manager for 31 years and unofficially even before that. Um, so he's also an investor himself. So just wanted to to welcome Rob to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's nice to be here. And um, we're actually on Zoom so I can see you. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you had a really interesting story of how you uh, first started in your property management uh, career unofficially. So figured that would be a good story to kick things off with. Well, my mom was always finding a way to earn income, and we ended up with a rental property across the uh, orchard. We lived in on eight acres and had an uh, apple orchard, and she had a rental property on the other side of the uh, orchard, which we rented out. And she learned early on when the tenant had money, he, she had to get it right away or he would go spend it. And I've always been a runner, and so anytime he said, I have rent, she would send me out the door and I would race across the orchard as fast as I could, collect whatever money he had, and then run it back to my mom. And so I started collecting rent um, when I was in junior high. And I could get back and forth across the orchard in about four or five minutes. Um, so it was pretty quick, but uh, I started early on and, you know, get the money when they have it. That's what you have to remember. Take If they offer money, take it. So... Has that principle changed much uh, since you became an official property manager? Because I, you know, for my property managers, I always hear the stories, hey, come come January, the story is a lot of times tenants spend a lot of their, you know, that's the, the lowest month of rent collections in January because everyone spends their money in December on Christmas and over budget. So how much has changed over the last, what, I don't know, 30, 40 years since, since then? It, it hasn't. And so what has changed is I have got, colleagues and friends who say we won't take cash and um, my lease says i don't want cash for safety reasons but if somebody walks in with cash we take it and the reason for that is we actually had somebody come into the office one day when i wasn't here and they had their six hundred dollars in rent it was a number of years ago and the person at the front desk said oh no we can't take cash go get a money order the person left and never came back (laughs) So even though our policy says don't take cash, if they walk in with money, we take it. It hasn't changed any. That's best for the owner. And if I'm the owner, it's best for me. So we want to make sure that we always stay cash. Um, But yeah, no, it hasn't changed. If they have money, take it. It's the best thing for everybody. Makes sense. So I actually did that back in junior high, helped my mom with a number of rentals. Um, She had... Uh, rentals in the area that we grew up in Northern California. Um, And then when I moved to Colorado, I ended up with a rental in Sacramento, California. Um, I bought my first rentals in Colorado Springs um, in 1992, a couple of years after I bought property for my mom in Colorado Springs. So it it was a long time ago, but she had called and said, hey, Rob, I'm going to buy a new rental in Dixon, California. It's a half of a duplex for $300,000. And I just couldn't believe it. And I said, Mom, what are you talking about? Half of a duplex? That doesn't make sense. 
So I said, let me look around Colorado Springs. We've decided I'm not moving back to California. I love Colorado Springs. I don't want to move. Um, like I said, this is back in 1990. And so I found uh, seven units that I bought for, I don't know, about $170,000 at the time. And since then, I've paid every bill. She gave me money once after the purchase that first six months or so. Other than that, I've sent her a check every month. And I broke the law for 13 years, not knowing that I was supposed to be licensed to manage my mom's rental property. Um, so when I became licensed in 2003, um, I realized, hey, look, I've been breaking the law for 13 years. But as I told the investigators at the Division of Real Estate, it's okay because my realtor told me I could manage it for my mom and that was allowed. <laughs> so it, it was okay. So um, then I bought mine in 1992 and we've grown from there. Um, 2003, I never thought I'd manage other people's properties. And I started doing that when a, a property manager here in town heard that I got my license and had experience and he hired me to help him manage uh, about 250 places. Um, Renee and I, my wife, started Milestone Real Estate in 2007. Um, we now manage over 250 places and uh, have been doing it a long time. And we, we enjoy it. There's challenges, but um, yeah, it, it's good. That's great. How many uh, properties do you have in your own portfolio currently? Uh, I think we are currently at 13 or 13. Okay. That's, and then my mom really has another eight. Um, we sold off some multi-unit places a number of years ago because we need some cash. And so we sold those off. Um, but right now we're, we have a mix of duplexes, uh, fourplex, and single family homes. From, from a investor point, I like multifamily. But from a property manager point, I like single family because single family have fewer issues. Um, but the multifamily um, is beneficial for an investor because um, if, if one unit goes vacant, the other one is still helping pay the mortgage. So most of mine that I purchased over the years were duplexes. Um, but. So a question I'm curious since uh, this is a question I get and I don't know the answer, you know, definitely for the Springs, but you know, one of the nice things about multifamily is that ability to scale. Um, but you know, Hey, great. If we have economies of scale, if I have four units, eight units, 10 units in the same building, it should be an overall, you know, lower operating cost per unit. But in terms of having a, a duplex, triplex or fourplex, at what point do you feel like, do you actually get the economies of scale for you know having multiple units under the same roof? Is is having a fourplex enough from your experience as both an investor managing properties? Yeah, I actually I actually do. Um, you have to look at you have to look at the units and what they're offering and the amenities. And so a lot of them are older at, th at this point. Um, how they're set up, what kind of yard care, what are the monthly maintenance issues. Um, you know, a lot depends on what you buy the property for. And so, you know, the fourplex, in, and right now, um, you buy a fourplex and you have four tenants to deal with. And if you buy a house, you buy two houses, potentially you have, you could have the same amount of uh, income coming from that. 
And right now the housing market is more expensive. So you get a better deal on the fourplex, but you have to maintain the yard where the single family house, they're going to maintain the yard. So there is a plus or minus there, but that triplex to fourplex, if you can buy it at that rice price range or put enough money down, I think that's a great place from a, for an investment standpoint. Um, the larger the units that right now, I believe the older they're going to be in Colorado Springs, which is going to cause more issues. Um, investors aren't building eight, eight units or eight plexes or six plexes. Um, so what they're building right now are you know townhomes and you can buy four of them but that cost is just through the roof and extremely hard for an investor, in my opinion. But that answer your question? It does. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Would you be able to kind of dig into, um, I know you, you just answered Chris's question in regards to multifamily management. Um, what do you see as the property manager's role in terms of a single family home? Because I would imagine in most cases, your leases are written so that the tenant is responsible for lawn care and snow and, and things of that nature. Um, would you be able to go into that a little bit? Yeah. So on a property management side from a single family home, um, as we know, real estate investment for most people is their largest investment. And most or a lot of property managers who own or owners who own a single family home as a rental, they bought it as their primary resident to start with. And that's how people get started. And so they move into town, they buy one, they could be military or not, they move out of the area and they need somebody to manage it because they can't sell it at the time or they think they want to come back. So our job really is to make sure that property is maintained. Um, we need to get in the property and take a look at it. We have a relationship with the vendor. So anytime if somebody goes in with our company, if they're representing us, they report back to us. Hey, did you know that tenant has four dogs? Um, and then we're going to address those issues right away. So the biggest concern, in my opinion, for a good property manager um, you know, collecting rents is obvious, but we want to maintain that property. If a property manager is not doing his job and is not letting the owner know that, hey, we're going to need to paint the exterior in two or three years or next year, um, it's, it's detrimental to the owner because they're not saving money. They think everything's fine. In Colorado Springs, any property needs to be painted every 10 to 15 years if it's a paint job. Um, we can always hope there's a hailstorm to cover that. <laughs> But that's not always realistic. So we need to make sure they know um, what those upcoming expenses are going to be. And when a tenant moves out and moves in, um, you know, we want to charge them. And we don't want to spend money unless we have to. But we also want to make sure the property is maintained and um, clean and efficient. So if we can do a patch on a carpet instead of replacing the whole carpet, that's my first choice. But eventually you have to say, hey, next time we got to replace the carpet. Mm -hmm. I think it's great that you're managing expectations for property owners, because I think that's where probably most of the frustration lies um, with owners in regards to property managers is that they log onto their portal and there's a giant bill. But if you're having that conversation years in advance, I just think mentally that's able for, or it's easier for people to be able to, uh, you know, comprehend, Hey, I'm going to have this large bill coming up. Okay. I totally know that this is going to happen. So when I see that bill in my portal, it makes a lot more sense now. And I think, I think that's a really great way of, um, aligning expectations. So it's interesting you say that because one of the classes I teach is managing owner expectations <laughs> by the property management agreement. And 
And that really came about because over the years, you know, we take on a new owner and then they would get frustrated with this or that. And so we've expanded the property our property management agreement to cover more areas than are not are necessary because I want the I want to outline very clearly about what's going on. And in our situation, and I know you'll think this is weird, but we don't have a um, a repair limit. My management gives me the right to fix it. Um, if it needs to be fixed, this is your investment. It's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Are you going to tell me not to fix something? Um, we're going to have a dialogue about the fence or carpet or appliances. We'll have that dialogue. But if it comes down to a drippy faucet, are you going to tell me not to fix it? So we have those conversations, but we communicate all of that type of stuff. And if the owner knows what's coming, then there's we don't have issues. The worst phone call I had back in oh, 2004, I was working with a, a lady named Carla Clark. Um, who owned Courtney and Courtney at the time. And so we were doing property management and we did a repair and it was only $150 or so. It wasn't a whole lot of money. And we had a repair cap at 250, but I forgot to email her or call her and tell her, Hey, we have this repair. And she called just really upset that she didn't even know what was going on. Not the dollar amount, just that she didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so I really feel a good property manager um, will communicate all of that. Hey, we're sending the handyman out to do this. It might not, I don't know what the repair cost is going to be yet, but at least you know it's coming. And then you don't have those upset owners because you don't have surprises. And it also allows us to have that dialogue. Hey, I'm going to move back. Let's upgrade the faucet in the kitchen to this $200 faucet because in a year I'm going to move back in the house. Great. Otherwise we would have put a $80 faucet in to match what was there. That's great. Yeah. I, I fully agree with that. Just on my past experiences, it's just exactly what you said. I, I was frustrated when things weren't communicated properly to me. So, you know, life happens, things happen. And as long as you're aware of it, I think that most people are, are amenable to that. For sure. Um, and then I was wondering if you could maybe expand. We get a lot of questions. Should we upgrade countertops? Should we upgrade appliances? Would you be able to kind of dig into what types of upgrades are actually beneficial to the investor, whereas uh, some might just be personal preference? So one of the ones, one of my favorite that was very frustrating to me as a property manager a few years ago is everybody went to stainless steel. So they, they've got the stainless appliances. Well, when the stainless appliances came out, they scratched really easy. And people were scratching them, not on purpose. They were just trying to wipe them down. And then I would go in and go, you scratched it to pieces. Well, if we're not supplying the proper cloth or cleaning material or whatnot, and there was not enough information about how to take care of them. Um, so stainless for me, and it still is, I don't see it a big upgrade for an owner. What you want is an, an, an appliance that works, you know, do black, do white if it works with your kitchen. Um, you know, the stainless is fine now. It's much more durable than it was, but I wouldn't pay extra for it. Um, I also went pay extra and put granite into a place. Now, if it's there, that's great. What really benefits a house is being clean and well-kept. Um, I would do, you know, new carpet if it needs new carpet before I would do granite in the kitchen. 
because you're not going to get that much. But nobody wants to live in a place that has soiled carpet. And if they do, what kind of tenant are you going to get? So it's important to look at that. And the way Renee and I have always looked at things, Renee's my wife, is that, you know, I won't ask an owner to spend on, to spend something on anything I wouldn't spend it on. And with our own rentals, we know what it's like when a, when a, a hot water heater goes out and property managers need to remember that. So my first broker said, well, I'll manage your home because there's no conflict because I don't own any rentals. And he'd never owned a rental, but he also didn't understand what it was like not to get a rent check because he never owned a rental. Mm. So we look at those upgrades, you know, if we can upgrade the bathroom with a new vanity for 200 bucks from, you know, and bring it up to a higher vanity, that's a great, that's a great investment. People walk in and say, oh, look, it looks so nice. It was cheap. (laughs) You know, you can do it for 500 bucks to do $2,000 for granite in the kitchen. Ah, You know, are you going to get any more rent? No. Will it rent a little faster? Yes, maybe a day. So you really have to look at those things. So are there are there any upgrades? Because I always look at uh, you know upgrading properties under under two things. One is just great. How uh, is this new upgrade going to be? You know, keep it clean and keep it tenant proof. Um, you know, like laminate vinyl planking right now, I think is wonderful. So that's you know very durable. But are there any upgrades that actually do increase? The rent bump, like, is there anything worthwhile? Hey, we should when you upgrade this or replace this or have the opportunity put this in here. Um, what gets a rent bump? Uh, the the one that's most obvious right now is air conditioning. So if you can put air conditioning in, we're going to get you know fifty, hundred bucks, you know, even one hundred fifty dollars more depending on the neighborhood. So that is a big drive now. As you from Colorado Springs, if you've been here a while, you know you really don't need it other than a few times during the year. But we have so many people moving here that are driven that AC is vital; they will pay more for it. Mm-hmm. So we will we will you know we will get more rent for AC. That would be a an increase that I would do constantly. Um, now, is that just with like window units, or are you actually doing like you know whole house systems? Whole, whole house system. Okay. Yeah. So if you can do a, you know, whole house AC unit, that is an upgrade that is worth it. Um, What's that generally run? So about $3,500. The key is whether or not the existing furnace will take it. Yeah. And, And so because the venting has to be right, the furnace has to be able to accommodate it. So that is the question. And then if, if, if it doesn't, then you're looking at a new furnace as well. So, you know, if you're doing a furnace and AC unit, you're easily six grand, five, six grand. A good property manager will have multiple vendors and they'll constantly shop and do their thing. Um, There's a lot of great, you know, HVAC companies out there. And the bigger they are, honestly, the more they charge because they have more overhead. So we try to work with smaller vendors and they'll tend to give us a better price. They rely on us a little bit, um, but even then we have to watch to make sure they're not taking advantage of things. And unfortunately, costs have just gone up. Um, we've had prices for hot water heaters, for example, for you know twelve or $1,300 from the small guy. Getting the same hot water heater from a larger company might be $1,800. That's a mm. big difference for an owner. So 
Um, but the, the automatic bump in price would be air, air conditioning. What about the uh, in-unit like washer and dryer? Because I know some, you know, most single-family homes have that, but multis, that, at least up here in Denver, can be a, a flip of the coin. So my, our, my feeling, <laughs> my feeling on washer dryers is most people who are renting a single-family home have their own. They're, they're a family, they're moving in. So in all the years I've been doing this professionally, I've only had one company, one military client come into town and say, I'll rent the house if you get me a washer dryer. Otherwise, we don't want them because if they're in the property, we feel like we need to repair them. Mm-hmm. And that's one more cost for the owner. I don't want the owner to have to pay that. So we ask owners to actually remove them. So that doesn't come in. Now on a multifamily, if they have washer dryer hookups, they're often stackable or, um, you know, it's a two bedroom, one bath, two bedroom, two bath, whatever that might be. And it it can fit a full washer dryer in it, but those tenants don't have them. So by providing them in those smaller multifamily units, we can charge more rent because we have them, but we also then have to maintain them. So that would be an increase for a smaller one if you have it, because somebody renting a two-bedroom place doesn't have a washer dryer, but they'll pay extra to have it in their place. Now, Jenny, what do you do for your single-family rentals? Since do you do you supply the washer and dryers, or are you? Uh, I'm curious now. I supply all of my all of my properties with washers and dryers, and I have bought many, many washes and dryers of the years because they don't really last that long um, is kind of what we have found. Um, just, I don't know if, you know, tenant usage is a little rough on them or, or what the deal is on that. But yeah, we we have supplied them and, and paid dearly for <laughs> all of them. So I'm curious because one of the, the, the counter arguments I've heard is that tenants are going to bring in their old washer and dryer, their old hoses, which can cause a higher likelihood of causing leaks. And of course, water damage is about the worst thing in the world. Um, what's your guys' opinion on that? Because I, you know, I use property manager, property manager for everything. So I'm always curious about, you know, what you guys in the trenches do. That that was my logic is if someone's going to flood the house, I want it to be my fault. <laughs> so that's kind of, you know, how we, we approach that. Yeah. What about you, so, Rob? A, a couple of things with that. So if it's, if we supply a washer dryer that we're not going to maintain, if it's in a single family home or even a duplex that we, we don't want to maintain anymore, we're going to do that. We actually do a, a, a washer dryer addendum that says they're being left at, at the convenience. You can use them. And if they break down, it's the owner's choice to fix them or not. So we often, you know, we'll reach out to the owner and say, Hey, do you want us to send the handyman out or do you want it or the appliance repair guy? Or do you want us just to remove them? In most cases, we take a look at it. If it's a cheap fix, most of the time the owner says, Oh, go ahead and fix it. But if it requires a brand new one, then we can say, we're going to remove it and you can get your own. And we have this addendum. So it can limit the owner's liability there. Um, the other thing is per the lease, if there's water damage or damage that is caused by the tenant, and that would be the tenant's hoses, they're liable for it. And so we're going to push that onto them as, as much as possible. Um, if it's your washer dryer and you provided it and it leaks, that's on you. So why not put it on the tenant? Well, so the, that's the, that's the counter side. 
do renter renters policies cover water damage caused by the tenant? They they can. So okay. There, what we found over the years is there's complete differences in um, rental rental policies. Some are very limited, and others are are cover all sorts of stuff. We've had people back into garage doors and break flat top stoves um, that were covered by the rentals insurance. Wow. Okay. And so we've had uh, water claims. I haven't had a water claim. Um, I'm not sure if I've had a water claim or not, but I've had friends who've had water claims and that was covered by the renter's insurance. So there are some really cheap ones that aren't going to cover anything, but if they have a decent policy, um, it would be covered. And is, is that part of your screening process? Cause I'm assuming you require every tenant to have renter's insurance, but do you require them like certain standards or minimums on there that cover certain things or hey as long as you have a policy that's that's all that really matters from a landlord's perspective so most of most of the policies are pretty good so okay we just require the, the renter's insurance um so we just require them to have it per the lease and you know tenants are good on it because they know that their stuff isn't protected that can also cover it if the refrigerator goes out they have but they have the chance of getting you know money back for their spoiled food because we're not liable for that um, so it is beneficial to them. We explain the benefits to them. And for the most part, they jump in and they already have it and they know. That's great. Kind of going along the same screening criteria. What, what do you guys use for, I guess, screening procedures and criteria and how does that whole process take place? So the screening process is really the most important process when selecting a tenant. And so it is, it's very easy to meet somebody and say, oh, I want to help this person. And they have wonderful stories. And so I took over a, a property um, a number of years ago. The owner called and um, said, well, I want you to manage the home. And I actually knew her for previously. We'd managed a home for her previously. She said, I have this other home. Uh, I put it on the market and I have all of these calls and I just don't have time to deal with it. So I said, well, that's fine. I'm happy to do it. She said, well, I'm meeting a bunch of them there tomorrow. Um, I'll just give them your application since I wasn't available on the short notice. Um, she said, I'll give them your information. They can contact you. And after she met with these, she called me. She said, okay, I, I met with seven people and I gave out six applications and all of them would be wonderful tenants. They, you know, told me these great, you know, they told me all about themselves and how they take care of the properties and how wonderful they are. And they would, any of them, I'd be happy to rent the house to. Well, once they found out they had to go through me, um, only one of them applied. And that person, her credit score was so bad and she had horrible rental references, we weren't able to rent to her. So when we look at tenants, we want to make sure that we're getting somebody. We're looking at amount of income that's coming in, uh, employment, time of employment. Um, did they just move here and the job was new? How stable is that? We're going to look at all of those things on the employment and ability to pay side. Um, we're going to run a credit report. We want to make sure they've been responsible. At the same time, we want to be human. And if there's a reason why their credit score, which shouldn't show anymore, 
because of federal law with the uh, medical history, it's not supposed to count against your credit score anymore. But if they have got a huge medical bill, we'll work with somebody. But if they've got a 500 credit score, we're not going to, it's not showing responsibility on their side. So we've got a, a minimum of 625. I've got colleagues who have 600, um, some at 650, but they have those minimums. Um, and we put those in place to protect the owner because that's who we're working for. Um, we want to, what comes the most important one is the rental references. And we don't want to take the, we'll do the current and the one before. And the one before is far more important than the current one because the current one might have a reason to say, oh yeah, they're great because they're not great. But the one before has no skin in the game and will be honest with you. Now, with that said, you need to dig deep and you have to ask a lot of questions when you're doing a rental reference. So I had a tenant come in, she applied and her credit was right where it's close, but it was right. It was okay. Her income was okay. I called on the rental reference and he said, yes, she paid. Yes, she got her security deposit back. And I just felt a hesitation. And I said, well, can you tell me a little more? Because I can hear hesitation in your voice. And I, and I said, would you rent to her again? And he said, absolutely not. I said, but you just told me you, she got all of her security deposit back and she always paid her rent. Why wouldn't you rent to her? And he goes, it sounds bad, but she's dirty. And every time I go in the house to do a repair, I was repulsed. It was just that dirty for my standards. And so I don't want her in my properties. And but was she a good tenant? Yeah, she paid. She moved out and she cleaned the place spotless. So she got all of her security deposit back. But I can't handle having that person in my house anymore. Hmm. So you you really need to go back and far enough to find out what the true story is. Like I said, that current, that current reference could be wanting to get rid of them because they haven't paid. And with the COVID situation right now, I'm definitely going back previous. Because, you know, it's easy. Old HR people would say, well, we can't give you any reference other than, yes, they rented here because they're scared of the liability, some mm -hmm. lawsuit. Well, if they're stating fact, you can share that information. And as property managers, you know, we always tell our colleagues, hey, share the facts. Don't tell me that you don't like them because they didn't clean the house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, let's just stay to the facts. Yeah. I, I feel as if landlord references are probably uh, one of the highest ranked uh criterion on on my personal uh tenant application process uh i guess second to having <laughs> consistent income coming in um but yeah it just tells the whole story of how is how is this relationship going to go and i think that it's really important and i think what's also very interesting is that um over the i guess five years that i've been managing properties i've only been called once uh, for a landlord reference of one of my prior tenants, which I found to be pretty interesting. That doesn't so, surprise me. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people are lazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, people will go to an owner who's managing their own if they have issues and they can tell stories and you can make you like them. Um, so as a company, as a professional property manager with me or anybody in town, we don't want to get fired. 
and and we don't want you to have to deal with issues and we don't want to deal with those issues so we will spend extra time to make sure those references are there we've had people give you know relatives and they say they're living over here or they give you a name and you look up the owner of the property on county records which we do and it says john smith well they told me that the person's name the, their landlord was you know susie okay it doesn't match you know, we ask them to verify with the rental amount. Well, I think they were paying this amount or the answers are so straight that we know that they were coached in terms of what exactly to say. Yep. So um, those, those references are, are vital. And all we ask for is to be, you know, truthful and um, we'll, we'll go from there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've, I've had someone uh, fib on their landlord reference before. So that was, was kind of interesting. I got, I got a question on, on the screening app. Um, I think, you know, I get this. I think you probably do too, Jenny, as a lot of times, you know, newer, you know, first time landlords are getting into owning rental properties. And a lot of times they are hiring property managers. W what do you say to landlords that say, Hey, I want to be part of the screening process. Hey, you're going to, you're going to go out there, advertise a property and you get say eight applications in first off, do the does the owner have a right to see all those applications? And secondly, are they able to pick a tenant and influence the decision process on, on the screening app from your perspective as a property manager? So let me think about that. No. <laughs> we, we don't want to that, that was well. hard there. <laughs> so, you know, people want to, people want to be involved. And so, this is what you have to realize. As a professional property manager, you're going to hire me to take care of your property. And I've done this for years. Or another property manager has done it for years. Trust in them to use their systems and processes. So the issues come into play is that if I share it with you and you say, oh, I like this one, well, that becomes, what did you base that on? It should be the first qualified person um, should get the place. And so um, we, we will collect applications and we will take the best qualified if we have multiple applications come in at that, at that time. Otherwise, they're holding it. There's been legislation that's, that's come about because you know people were taking applications fees and then holding them forever, even though that person was qualified. And then all of a sudden we have rules, new rules about, okay, you can only charge so much on your application fee because tenants complained. And now there's a new state law saying you can't charge more than your actual cost. And so all of those things come into play. But the biggest one for a property manager would be fair housing complaint. And with a fair housing complaint, you are guilty unless you can prove otherwise. Mm -hmm. And it's like love letters. You guys get love letters, right? For properties, not anymore. Well, we, we we discourage them for the exact reason you said for fair housing issues. Well, that's the same thing here. So anytime we get somebody else and we start looking at anything other than the best qualified person for the property, we have an opportunity for a fair housing claim, and nobody wants to deal with one of those. Makes sense. Thank you. Yeah, that was, that was super helpful. So now that you found a good tenant, you know you want to treat them well, make sure that they want to stay in that property because it's it's very vital to your success as a landlord to have a great tenant in that property. So what are your thoughts on rent increases? Well, I, I believe that we want to stay within the rental market, but 
if we have a good tenant that's been there for a while or is going to renew, I would rather have a good tenant at the lower end of that and do a small increase, whether it's $50, $25, $75, rather than try to push up to the top of the market. Um, they're already taking, they're already taking care of the property. If that tenant moves, then there's going to be an additional cost for the owner. And we don't want that. Um, it's much better to have a known entity at maybe the low end of the rental market, but still within that range. Because mm-hmm. there's a range within every home that's rented or duplex or fourplex. There's always a range. And so as long as we're in that range, I think we're doing the, the right thing by keeping the increases small. The tenants appreciate it. We let them know, hey, based on if, we're, if you move, we're going to put the market, the house on the market or the duplex on the market, whatever it is, for $1,000. But because you're staying, if you sign a new lease, we're only going to do a $25 increase and you're right, it's going to be $950. It's up to you. And they appreciate knowing that this is what it's going to cost them. And this is what we'll list it for if they move, but we're going to give them a break. So I think it, it has worked very well, um, but we want to make sure, at least in our company, that we stay within that range. It's detrimental to the owner if we don't, Makes because sense. over time, they're losing money. So last question before we let you get out of here for today. Um, I know that you were a part of the Colorado Landlord Legislative Coalition. Would you be able to kind of explain kind of what's happening um, in regards to that? Yeah, the... Colorado Landlord Legislative Coalition was put together last year um, with some property management. It started with the Colorado chapter of NARPM, the National Association of um, National Association of Residential Property Managers. We were looking to create a state chapter so we could have representation at the state when legislative bills, legislative sessions started and bills were introduced that were detrimental to the rental industry because we wanted to have a voice that was stronger than just independent people. Well, in looking at it, we realized that the CLLC, as I'll call it, um, Colorado Landlord Legislative Coalition, was really needed to be more inclusive and include owners, not just professional property managers. And so we created this nonprofit. Um, we've hired a lobbyist. And he's up at the state right now fighting um, bills that have been proposed to extend eviction timeframes, limit late fees, limit rent increases. And it is really detrimental. Um, If the proposed bill that is currently there, it would give Colorado the hardest, um, it would be harder than on any landlord in Colorado than any place in the country to evict somebody. Oh, wow. Wow. And we don't want that. I mean, we need to make sure that we stay, we want fair legislation. Um, You know, there are some bad landlords and we need legislation to protect the tenants, but we don't need to go to the extreme that it would take months to get rid of a tenant. Um, That's already taking place in California. We don't want to do that. So the coalition is looking for fair legislation and um, we encourage any individual owners or property managers um, to join it because the more people we have involved, the, the stronger our voice is. So, well, what can, what's the best way for people to learn more? Go to the website or is it like, a, do yeah. they donate? Do they so, call the senators? What do they do? What are your hopes? So, the best thing to do would be to go to Colorado Landlord Legislative Coalition. 
to spell it all out.org. And we've got a webpage. You can join and become a member for as little as 60 bucks a year. Um, we've got different levels. We have companies and individuals paying $6,000 a year to be part of this. Um, I'm a member. I pay even though I founded it and I put lots of hours in trying to make this work. Um, but we need to make sure that we have numbers. And so if they could go to Colorado Landlord Legislative Coalition.org, they can pull it up. Um, there's information about the founders on there and the current board. Um, but it is vital that we fight some of these bills. We actually sent out a call to action this morning because of the bills that I was just, uh, some of the bills I was just talking about. They want to extend the the notice from 10 days to 14 days if somebody's now not paying. And, you know, it's just delaying. You know, most landlords will work with a tenant who is making, uh, truly making an effort to pay. Um, we don't want to turn it. We don't want to turn it. We just want to get paid. And so um, by extending that, all we're doing is hurting the landlord um, and the tenant, honestly, because those costs goes up, they'll be charged to it. They'll end up in collections. And then how are they going to find a house? Because it's going to show on their on their report that they have a collection to a property manager. I will never rent to a place somebody who has a collection to a property manager. It makes it harder for them. So I want to thank you guys if you have any other questions, but thank you so much for letting me be a part of the show today. This is cool. I've never done this before. Oh, Rob, this this was uh, this was great. So we will definitely have you back on in future episodes. Uh, definitely like to pick your brain on future episodes for just, you know, up to date on the legislation and also just as, you know, we continue to navigate COVID, how that is affecting leasing and rent collections. Um, but what's the best way for people to get a hold of you to talk with you, to potentially have you manage your properties? What's the best way for people to reach out to you? Well, they can call the office um, and that would be Milestone Real Estate Services. And it's 719-260-6871. So that was 719-260-6871. And I work in all of Colorado Springs area. And my email, and I'm happy to share information, whether it's just answering questions as well, is rob at milestonerez.com. That's R-O-B at M-I-L-E-S-T-O-N-E-R-E-S.com. So it's Milestone Res for Milestone Real Estate Services. So I appreciate it again. Thank you so much. Thanks Thanks so much, Rob. Rob. And everyone out there who's just listening, uh, the phone number, the website, the email address, all that stuff will be in the show notes as well. So just uh, click on the link and everything will be in there. Rob, thank you so much, man. This was phenomenal. I appreciate your time. It was, it was a learning experience. My son's over there watching me through the window going, hey, you're doing good. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys.